1: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision.
0: We're turning our attention today to the fascinating messages given to the seven churches of the Bible book of Revelation. The Apostle John was exiled to the rocky and inhospitable island of Patmos. And as the scripture says, Jesus spoke to him in a vision revealing events present and future. He also gave to John messages to seven churches in the region of Asia Minor. Our special guest today is coming to Australia with intent to share insights with Aussies about what those letters tell us about the church both then and now. Renowned Bible teacher Dr Baruch Corman is the senior lecturer at the Zerah Avraham Institute based in Israel. He's a Bible teacher with an emphasis on the Jewish context of Scripture. He's seen on numerous television networks around the world. You can view his expository Bible teaching in Australia on the Daystar Network, on God TV and TBN Pacific. Baruch Corman, a special welcome back to 2020.
1: Thank you, Neil. It's good to be back with you.
0: Baruch, what's the fascination for you this time around about these seven churches that John
1: talks about in the book of Revelation? Well, first and foremost, we see that none of these churches are in Israel. And I think that's very significant because, just as you pointed out, John was in exile. Every one of these churches is as well in exile. And I believe that tells the reader something important, and that is we're still all in a spiritual exile. Yes, Messiah has come, he's done that work of redemption, but. He's paid the price, but the outcome of what he has done in the fullest sense has not yet materialized. It will. He's faithful. But in the same way that the churches are outside of Israel, we're not in the kingdom yet. And this message that he shares with each of these churches is a kingdom message of being ready and how to act, what character to display in light of the last days. For the
0: newcomer to the Bible, uh, these names sound a bit strange, uh, particularly for us down under here in Australia. But you've got these seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. How do you relate to those? I know that there are some who say that these represent different time periods of the church. How do you think we best interpret those seven churches?
1: Well, uh, you're absolutely right. It is a very common uh, uh, interpretation that these seven churches speak about seven different periods of the church. Of course, although it's popular, there is no biblical reason to interpret these seven churches as seven distinct times. There's no indicator from that uh, for that in the Scripture itself. It's all someone said it, and it's stuck. But I would strongly disagree with that. I think each of these messages are for the church in the last days, in fact, One thing that comes over and over to each of these churches, and you mentioned it a few minutes ago when you said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. But this is what's so important to what the Spirit says to the churches, not the church, not that individual church, but to the churches. So this tells us, this is a key hermeneutical principle, that these seven messages are not for seven distinct churches, But these messages are for all the churches, all seven of them.
0: Because one of those misconceptions, uh, and a lot of people will draw attention to the church of Laodicea, the seventh one that gets a mention. And they somehow or other relate that very closely to the lukewarmness that we might see around ourselves in church life. But when you say this is not time-specific that the messages are for all of us in every church age, that means when we hear those words, uh, you know, when we hear those words, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Is this something that you're saying now? Uh, Listen to the message in all of those
1: seven churches. Absolutely, because when we quote that passage from the Scripture, it says... And I'm just going to look at uh, chapter 2, verse 7. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. It's in the plural. So again, that tells us that these seven messages are equally applicable for all seven churches, not just for the one. It is incorrect to believe that the message to, for example, the church in Ephesus, that message is only for the the church in Ephesus it's given to that but it has a purpose that goes beyond that individual congregation how do you deal with uh, the format anyone who's read
0: uh, those letters in revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 uh, they all have a very similar sort of a feel to them. You know, they are different issues that they're dealing with, and there's different consequences for the bad things they're doing, and there's always some sort of encouragement for the good things. But is there something similar in
1: the format of those letters? Well, they they have a very similar format, and it begins each message begins the same way, and that is that Messiah reveals himself in some way, in a unique way, to that individual church but again messiah's revelation that is the purpose of the book of revelation we go to chapter one and verse one it's the revelation of yeshua HaMashiach, jesus christ so his revelation to each church is relevant for all churches for every believer but he does so in a unique way to each church i think also the fact that there's seven churches mentioned the this gives us an indicator because the number seven historically in in Jewish understanding has to do with purpose. It relates to holiness. Holiness is always related to the purpose of God. And therefore, what, what we find here is Messiah revealing himself, who he is, what he has done, and how we should relate to him, and how we should respond to him in order to fulfill his purpose for the church collectively. <laughs>
0: If we're talking time again, of course, there are those who'll say, this is John writing for a first century church. Uh, There are those who take everything figuratively and say, this is something for the future. And we place that even beyond where we might be right now. Uh, What you seem to be saying is that these messages to the seven churches are just as relevant to every
1: single one of us in the present time. It's relevant for the present time, but it has a greater emphasis. In fact, when you read the book of Revelation, John's emphasis is to disciples that are going to be living in the last days. I think that's significant because when we look at Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, that Olivet Discourse, the same thing can be said. Messiah is speaking to his disciples, those disciples 2,000 years ago, but he was speaking to them for those who would be his disciples in the last days. There is a clear emphasis in the book of Revelation on the last days. Why is that? Where can we prove that? What is the book of Revelation about? The events that must happen in order to bring that throne of God, which is in heaven right now, to bring it to earth. That is the objective of the book of Revelation. What has to happen so that the throne of God comes to Jerusalem, And the kingdom, and I'm speaking about initially the millennial kingdom, but ultimately that final state of the kingdom, the new Jerusalem, will come about, that God will dwell with his people. So I I don't see any any indication that John is writing this for the first century church. He's addressing it to the first century church, certainly, but it's for certainly the last days, what's going to happen in the end.
0: No doubt there'll be listeners who are hanging on every word with your Hebrew view of the book of Revelation. Let me ask you, because in each of these opportunities that are spoken into the church by Jesus, uh, there's something very special here and I'll get your thoughts because they're addressed to the angel of the church. So in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. How do you interpret angel here? Is this a spiritual
1: being? What do you think? Well, I, I do like to bring a Hebraic context into understanding the Scripture, but let me affirm I do believe the book of Revelation was originally written in the Greek language, and that word angelos, whether we're speaking about it from a Greek or a Hebrew standpoint, that word can also mean messenger. So it's certainly when it says to the angel of this, this church in Ephesus or whatever church of the seven we're dealing with, it's speaking about the messenger to that church. And I believe that, that throughout the Christian uh, uh, epoch of time, they're understanding that as the leader of that church, the one who has the primary responsibility of teaching, the one who is the ruling elder of that congregation. So an angel is not, we don't want to think of an angel in the the traditional medieval sense with uh, a little child with uh, uh, wings and such that are in the clouds, it's speaking about God's messenger to that church. So the angel is the messenger, and
0: we might interpret that as the pastor or the preach, preacher or the Bible teacher who is in that church. And so uh, there's something here that is a particular message for leadership uh, what about ordinary people who are sitting in the pews of church? Uh, I mean, well, we might look at those things, but is there something special here that directly actually speaks to the
1: leader? Well, it's, he, he's, the leader's receiving the words, but I think when we look at the context, context and the content for each of these seven churches, that it's for the people. Uh, There's certainly an emphasis in the book of Revelation on those who are servants, and we're all called to be servants. We may have different calling. We may have a different role in a local congregation, but but these messages are for the people. Yes, it's given to the leader who is that messenger to the people but it's given for the entire body of believers. Uh, Let me ask you about the settings
0: that were receiving this revelation, these letters to the seven churches, because those city settings in the first century look somewhat different to our technologically advanced cities of the 21st century. Uh, But you have Ephesus, a first century church Uh, a place of learning, an educational center, Uh, does it matter very much what sort of setting that you're talking about where the message is delivered? Uh, How do you interpret the the setting and the
1: message and how relevant that is? Well, many of these were very key places, as you point out, with emphasis. They were key places in the sense that they were known. They were not uh, irrelevant places. Uh, They were influential and what I would say to this is that they were in exile. They were living in a culture that was very corrupt. And I think this is something that is very pertinent for us because as we're living today, we're seeing a growing corruption. We, we see an apostate church even now. The church is, is highly confused. You mentioned uh, the lukewarmness. I don't see today that the church is lukewarm. I see the church moving away from biblical truth at a very alarming rate as a speed. When you have the Anglican church, the Church of England, uh, saying that evolution and creation does not uh, conflict, when you have uh, major denominations going back to, again, the Church of England uh, uh, recognizing and embracing same-sex marriage. When you have the, one of the leading American uh, influential pastors wanting to to try to separate the New Testament message from the Old Testament message, we see over and over how the church is apostate, moving rapidly in that direction. So lukewarm is not good, and we know what he says, he'll, he'll spit us out of his mouth, But we have moved past lukewarmness. We are are hostile to biblical truth today in much of the church. But Rook, some
0: will say, uh, well, all this end times teaching, it's very confusing. There's always mixed messages coming from different ministers, different Bible teachers. Uh, Some will just leave it on the side, I wonder if you've got any thought on the wisdom of grappling with some of this, trying to find a relevant and contextualized meaning for what Revelation is showing us, perhaps not even getting off on all sorts of tangents, uh, but just the value. Uh, What sort of value do you see for the person who is grappling with some of these issues, and particularly here around the seven churches?
1: Well, I'll, I'll say two things. First of all, The reason why the book of Revelation is difficult to many people is because you have to know prophecy. And I'm speaking about biblical prophets. And the church, I've said many times, if you look at the least likely scripture for people to know, it is prophecy. People don't know the message of of Nahum. They don't know the message of of Amos. They don't know the message of Haggai. They don't know the names of these prophets, what they mean. So this becomes very difficult then when we see that John utilizes especially Old Testament prophets in making his message. If you don't understand the prophets, you won't understand the book of Revelation. That's the problem. I think as well, yes, there's many different opinions about the last days, but it's because they base them upon what they hear being taught rather than what the Scripture says. Let me give you an example. We've spoken before, Neil, about our blessed hope, the rapture. almost without exception, people will will de- define where what your position is in regard to the rapture in regard to the tribulation. I would argue that the Bible never defines the rapture in light of Daniel's 70th week. The Bible only defines the rapture in the fact that it will happen before the wrath of God. This is foreign to, to most people. So it's when we base our views of Scripture, our, our eschatology, our views of the last days upon simply what man has said rather than tying it directly to the Scripture, that's why the confusion comes about. The Bible speaks very, very clearly. I'll give you one more example. Uh, if you ask many people, when when Christ comes, he's coming How? Many in the church will say as a thief in the night, but for the church, certainly Messiah is not coming as a thief in the night. That's for the second coming. We're we're not concerned about the second coming. We're concerned about Messiah's blessed hope, him coming for the church. And he's not coming to the church as a thief in the night. In fact, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, you're not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief in the night. We should be children of the light, and therefore understanding these things so i think it's a strong admonition from from the scripture and from the lord himself that we do study and know what's going to happen in the last days it shouldn't be confusing to us well this is why there is an
0: increasing following that is looking for this sort of bible teaching and dr baruch Corman is coming to australia he's senior lecturer at the uh, the zera abraham institute based in israel he'll be in australia on the 9th through the 11th of September, the 2023 Love Israel Conference. It'll be on at the Wesley Conference Centre in Sydney. More of this conversation coming. We'll we'll tackle some more good points just ahead with our special guest this hour, Dr. Baruch Corman. We're back with more shortly. Well, we are back and giving attention to the book of Revelation, a fascination for so many. For some, it seems like it's a little too hard and we put it aside into the too hard basket. But our special guest today has real insight into the book of Revelation. He is coming to Australia, and he'll be here for a conference that's coming up in September, the 2023 Love Israel Conference. Our special guest, Dr. Baruch Corman, is senior lecturer at the Zerah Avraham Institute based in Israel, a Bible teacher with an emphasis on the Jewish context of Scripture. So before we go any further here, Baruch, How about letting us in on some thoughts that you have around some of the tensions, those things we're seeing in the news headlines, uh, all sorts of issues of rioting on the streets, around reforms that are being called for by your prime minister, uh, and the ongoing conflict with Palestinian people. Uh, What are your thoughts for even the things we're talking about in the book of Revelation, for things that are happening today in Israel?
1: Well, certainly all over the world, and Israel's no exception, there is a political conflict. And that political conflict is between really two philosophies, one having to do with with a strong democracy. Uh, It's interesting because what the prime minister, and I'm speaking about Benjamin Netanyahu, what he wants to do is to have the Supreme Court not be able to be used by the left to challenge and to try to stop the, the right-wing agenda. And I'll give you just an example of this. Um, not too long ago, recently, there was Israel's Independence Day. Historically, the, the Minister of Defense makes the decision about closing off the, the so-called Palestinian area for safety reasons. That is only a decision that the, the Secretary of Defense makes. But in recent years, the Supreme Court has weighed in on that to try to not allow him to do that because the Supreme Court is highly liberal. And so the reform that Netanyahu wants is that when when the Parliament makes a decision based upon the representatives that the people put in, that those laws should be able to stand, those policies should be as seen as representing the people and not allow a very left wing, a very uh, liberal uh, entity that is is put into power by a committee of themselves, allow them to, to stop and thwart what the people who voted uh, for the parliament, what they want to do. So it, it's really a battle between the right and the left and not as the media says it's a threat to democracy, quite the contrary. What the Supreme Court is doing is a threat to democracy.
0: There's this very secularized uh, left and perhaps secularized right as well. Uh, If you spiritualize this and bring into this, you've got a Jewish Orthodox community in Israel, You've got a Messianic Jewish community in Israel. You've got Christians in Israel. So if we come back to the book of Revelation and what these seven churches, the letters that are uh, written to the seven churches, how does that actually uh, put us in a position here in being a part of what is happening on this very day?
1: Well, I think the greatest way to understand that is that there is coming an empire. That is going to rule the world revelation 13 makes that very clear in the first part and then the second part the leader of that the antichrist so we're speaking about the antichrist empire what type of character does that empire have it's not a matter of debate the scripture tells us it will have a blasphemous name this is what we're seeing we're seeing policies that are supporting those things that the bible calls an abomination and attacking the biblical order We know biblically that God created uh, man, male, and female. Now there's confusion about what's a male, what's a female, and and such. And therefore, what's happening, and it's really tragic uh, today, Neil, because uh, many of the messianic and the Christian organizations in Israel, the local congregations and such, are supporting a very left-wing agenda because the news media is behind the left, and therefore it's popular, it's getting, and it's, and they're believing the distortion of the media. Unfortunately today, we don't have a media anywhere in the world that is is journalistic. It's all politically motivated, and unfortunately, and this is happening not just in Israel, but throughout the world, many so-called believers are buying into the propaganda of the news media instead of doing what we should, and that is basing our behavior, are confessions upon what the scripture says. That's the tragic.
0: Whether you are a religious Jew or a religious Christian, uh, what are consequences here for doing the wrong things, for siding with the secular side, not on a spiritual side? Is there something in these letters to the seven churches that might give us some indication of... Uh, God being the one who is in power ultimately, and uh, that there are some consequences uh, for the deeds, uh, for the works of
1: the people. Very much so. In each of these letters, it talks about overcoming. And we're called to specifically overcome the world and the philosophy of the world. And today, my concern is that instead of overcoming and being distinct and being holy— and, and striving for righteousness, we are embracing a distortion of what is right. In fact, what we know is this blasphemous uh, character of this government, the one world government that's going to rise up, it is the leader is going to be called the man of lawlessness. Lawlessness is related to unrighteousness. The law is related to Righteousness and i think very strongly in the book of revelation to these churches messiah is calling us to live out a righteous behavior so we have a testimony the testimony is supposed to overcome the world we know for example in revelation 19 it says the the testimony of christ is the spirit of prophecy if we should live in a way that reflects his testimony his character And unfortunately, I see this apostate's church doing just the opposite of that. Is this a primer?
0: At the very beginning of the book of Revelation, uh, John's having his vision, a warning to whoever reads these things that siding with lawlessness has consequences, uh, siding with righteousness has consequences too. Uh, What are your thoughts here? Is it something like a primer or setting up the listener, the reader? Uh, for what else is coming in the book of Revelation?
1: Uh, absolutely, I, I like how you just framed that, setting up the believer for what else is coming in the book of Revelation. When we look at Revelation chapters two and three, those seven uh, epistles to these seven churches of Asia Minor, we we don't we should not expect that in chapter four there are those who believe that that's the end of the church age at the beginning but we're called to overcome. When we look at the teachings of Messiah himself, Jesus said and commanded over and over for us to watch. He uses three different Greek words. And the third one is a word that's militarily related. It means to watch because there's an enemy. It makes no sense for someone to believe what is being said in the book of Revelation, and then to believe that there's gonna be nothing that we're supposed to be watching for, nothing that we're called to overcome. No, quite the contrary. These seven messages are to prepare us, prepare us for what is coming, and we should not interpret there's no reason to believe that in in Revelation chapter 4 when John is called up to heaven to get a a heavenly perspective and other visions that this parallels the church uh, going up to heaven. That is a a interpretation that is based without any scriptural indicators whatsoever to support it.
0: My suspicion is, and even reflecting on earlier conversations that you and I have had, no guarantee that the believer in this day and age might not suffer injury as things get tougher. But I wonder whether there's a thought here about judgment coming and whether that judgment actually might be a part of The hope we have, uh, knowing that justice will be done and I will be exonerated and by God's grace, I'll be saved. Any thoughts here about judgment in the mix of uh, the fact that we may well suffer some things coming into the end times?
1: Here again, I I really like the, the way that you present this because we will suffer. We're going to suffer persecution. The source of that suffering, that trouble, that persecution is the enemy I'll tell you what's not the source and that is the judgment of god or his wrath we have a great promise from god paul says it in first thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9 that we have not been appointed for wrath we have not been appointed for judgment why because christ took all of our judgment upon the cross we are not going to be punished for our sins but Because we live righteously and obediently to the instructions of our Lord and Savior and what the apostles shared in the New Testament and throughout all of God's word, we will be persecuted and such. But the vengeance that God will place upon this world, this is going to be the the justification that, that doing the right thing. Is the right thing that God will avenge in fact we see that in the book of first of and second Thessalonians we see this in the book of of Revelation for example in Revelation chapter 7 the church is crying out in heaven how long until you avenge he will avenge but we won't we won't experience that vengeance here We'll be looking down from heaven to see what God's doing to, upon those who who thwarted his purposes and attacked his his definition of righteousness. When we talk the
0: possibility of persecution for the Christian believer, oftentimes it's tempting to say, "How do I run and hide from that? How do I protect myself uh, through what's coming?" I wonder, is there anything we glean from the letters to the seven churches around our reaction to a persecution? Because these seven churches, these were first century and part of the Roman Empire, and they were technically under persecution. So uh, is there anything in these seven letters that encourages us not to run and hide but to stand and be righteous, strong, and join
1: the good fight? <laughs> each of these letters tell us to do just that that the thing that we're going to be saved from is this time of of persecution or I should say vengeance that's coming upon the world that's what the scripture says upon the world we don't belong to the world we belong to the kingdom but but it's not that we may be persecuted believers now in many places of the world are being persecuted and we see ourselves our own organization we're seeing some media outlets uh, uh, not want to to have our show on because they say it's it's too controversial. And I ask them, what is too controversial? And they speak about, well, it's too intense. Uh, our listeners don't want to hear about judgment. Our listeners don't want to hear about persecution. Our listeners don't want to hear. We, they want to be encouraged. And I think one of the false things that we're experiencing today is a message that makes us only feel good. I think we need to be more concerned about the truth and the call that Messiah said. The world hated him, the world will hate us. The world persecuted him, the world will persecute us. We need to be ready for that and prepared. And there's much in these seven letters to the seven churches in regard to standing and having a witness. This is the key thing having a witness. That, uh, that reflects our relationship with Christ. I wonder if we've got some insight here uh,
0: into, we've got the, the seven churches, uh, sometimes uh, there in the book of Revelation, chapters two and three, the seven stars. And then you've got God himself, Jesus himself, walking among the seven golden lampstands. Is that an indicator of, of the presence of Jesus walking amongst the churches as they're working through how they deal with these sorts
1: of issues? Well, this is a great example of understanding the, I sometimes say Jewish context of Scripture, the biblical context, because the lampstand, we could use the Hebrew word menorah. That's what the lampstand is. And what's interesting is the lampstand is solid gold, also where God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies. It rested between the two cherubims upon the, in English we usually say mercy seat, in Hebrew it's the kaporet, And that also, that covering of the ark was also solid gold. So from a rabbinical standpoint, I think that they get this right. There's a relationship between where God dwelt and the menorah that reflected the presence of God with the people. When we saw the light of the menorah, we are called to remember God with us. And so, as things get difficult, as we approach these last days, we should remember, and we're called to reflect by our behavior that, that God is in us through through the Holy Spirit, and we're called to reflect God's presence in this world in the midst of the things that we're going to encounter. So the sin, I think, is very significantly chosen as a message to you and me, Neil, to all believers, that we're called to demonstrate our relationship with Christ in our behavior in the midst of these difficult things. A couple of things you're saying here, Uh,
0: the demonstration of a life, the behavior of the believer, perhaps the behavior of the churches, if we're talking about these seven churches. And I think we all will take for granted when we recognize that Jesus is coming and he's the judge, and we see him judging uh, those who have been in rebellion against him. But this is uh, uh, something I'll get your thoughts on. When we're looking at these seven churches in the book of Revelation, we're talking about Jesus' judgment on the churches. I wonder if you've got any thoughts here about behavior and those sorts of standards that Jesus has, uh, because isn't it here, first, the churches are in line for judgment?
1: Well, one of the things he says to several churches is, I know your works. I think that's so important. We're not saved by works. We all know this. I think most people in the church knows that it's false to teach a works-based righteousness, that through our works, God makes us righteous. No, God makes us righteous by faith. That's what the Torah says in the book of Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. So it's by faith. But having been saved by God's grace, having received that free gift, Our works are important God's watching our works so we need to be someone who understands that our behavior is important to God and we're called to demonstrate the character of the king of of Yeshua himself of Jesus and that character that he has is the same character that the kingdom will be known for and we see the dichotomy The, the antichrist empire is of unrighteousness why Well, many people don't know that if you look at the word righteous in the scripture, in poetry, Hebrew poetry, like in the book of Psalms and Proverbs, and also in prophecy, because prophecy is often Hebraic poetry, we see that it's parallel to glory. And here's what it comes down to we're supposed to live in a way that manifests God's glory. It's only when we do the right thing, behave righteously, that glory is revealed. The problem is the Antichrist, he's the man of lawlessness. His kingdom is going to be against anything that brings glory to God so what is the summation of these seven letters to live in a way that that produces righteousness our works are important why because with our works God is glorified what does Messiah himself say they'll see your good works and glorify your Heavenly Father who is in heaven that's our call Well, Baruch, I know there'll be a lot of listeners
0: who might be wanting to be a part of your 2023 Love Israel conference. You're coming back to Australia the 9th through the 11th of September at the Wesley Conference Centre in Sydney. And uh, not just you on the platform and uh, with your wonderful oratory, but you're also bringing with you this time... A artist that many listeners will be familiar, familiar with, Joshua
1: Aaron, uh, is he a mate of yours? Uh, he lives in Israel. In fact, uh, a few weeks ago or months ago, we were together and in uh, planning this conference, and we're so grateful that he has agreed to come. And worship is going to be not just the study of God's word, but we want to really—and this is why Joshua is coming—we want to emphasize worship. So the conference will be in Australia for a few days and speaking different places. But the conference is is on Saturday, September 9th. There's going to be uh, four sessions of study and also four sessions of worship. We're excited about that. And he will will truly uh, provide the environment that is worshipful. And that is pleasing to God and God's glory. Our hope is that God's glory will be manifested through this conference in Sydney. Well, you'll be able to
0: get your registration for that conference at loveisrael.org. Loveisrael.org. It's going to be on at the Wesley Conference Centre in Sydney. And it's Dr. Baruch Corman and, of course, the praise and worship with Joshua Aaron. And, of course, Baruch, a Bible teacher, an emphasis on the Jewish context of Scripture. And you can catch Baruch and his expository Bible teaching in Australia on the Daystar Network, on God TV and on TBN Pacific. Uh, Baruch Corman, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your heart with us today on 2020.
1: Thank you, Neil. As always, you're so gracious to, to invite me. I appreciate that. We appreciate uh, uh, the CMM group for sponsoring our conference. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.